0: The economy is actually getting better. Things are getting better. We have a long, long way to go. But now you see what's happening. We're having a a situation where housing is starting to improve, where lending is starting to come forward, where we have a situation where we've gained some control of the automobile companies who otherwise would have had to be liquidated in terms of them staying in business and having a prospect of growing. Hey, welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt in Seattle.
1: And I'm David Kestenbaum in Washington, D.C. It is Monday, June 15th. And that was Vice President Joe Biden, you heard at the top, speaking on NBC's Meet the Press this weekend. And I have your Planet Money indicator for you right here. It is the number five.
0: Five years, my friends. Five long or... Short years, I guess, depending where you sit. Five years since the U.S. International Trade Commission considered Vietnamese frozen fish fillets.
1: But they're doing it now. Today, the International Trade Commission is gathering, sitting in a conference room somewhere, I guess, and deciding if someone wants to import those fish fillets from Vietnam, what is the tax they should have to pay to get them here?
0: Yes, what should the duty rate be? The commission will talk, they'll review, they'll decide... Which I got to say, strange job. I I guess we have a global economy, global trade. So if you really think about it, we do need someone to consider what duty rates for Vietnamese frozen fish should be. But still, what if that was your job to talk about that all day?
1: And tomorrow, apparently, they're going to get into lawn groomers from China. (laughs) So today we're going to be talking about our economy and the strange jobs it creates and the strange jobs that make the economy happen. And strange job number one relates to the iPhone. Hannah, I don't know if you've heard, I got this from a source on Deep Background, but there is a
0: new iPhone coming out. You know, I did hear that, but only because I got two emails from Apple saw Three ads and read five articles about it. You you really have to be in the know to know about this huge world-shaking thing about to happen. No one is talking about it.
1: So we decided, well, someone should really take a look at this event. And Hannah, you drew the short straw.
0: <laughs> yeah. And we weren't interested in the new features or the hype, but there is this one group of people who have sort of a strange job, thanks to Apple. These guys, they're mostly guys, who wait for the new iPhone to come out. They count the days. And not so they can use the Google or the MyFace, but so that they can take the thing <laughs> apart, they get to know its insides. People like Wayne Lamb with iSupply. His title is senior teardown specialist.
2: Well, a teardown is um, very much what you imagine. You know, we're taking a um, electronic consumer device, uh, which is of course all packaged and assembled and uh, gleaming, and, and we try to document the. Disassembly very much like we're telling a story. So, when we open up, for example, the iPhone, you, we would really go after and identify uh, the key components.
0: How, and, how mm-hmm. do you get that thing open? Well, they're
2: <laughs> torque screws or small Allen wrenches. It's basically held together by a couple of screws at the base of the uh, device where the connector is. And needless to say, it's, it's not your ordinary tools that you find. So
1: podcast listeners, if you are taking out your screwdrivers and flipping over the iPhone maybe that's playing this podcast, stop, wait, <laughs> don't, don't do no. it or at least wait, uh, wait until the podcast is over.
0: Yeah, and you don't ever have to do it because iSupply and lots of other companies do it for you. There's this industry of teardowners, and they exist because Apple sees it as a competitive advantage to keep its supply chain secret, to keep all of the stuff inside the iPhone and where it comes from secret. They don't want people to know. So why do um, they put the so, screw?
1: Why do they put the little screws in the back then?
0: Yeah, they haven't met. That's why they, they make them had. really small. <laughs> So, so these tech gadget guys, yeah, they, they make it their job to get into those little screws to take it apart and document piece by piece how everything fits together. So they'll figure out, like, where every chip is from, who makes it. And even if it means scraping off epoxy piece by piece and acid baths and using microscopes, they will figure out the story of the iPhone.
1: What did that mean when he said that, the story?
0: Basically, it's just where it's from and how much it costs to make it. So they'll go, oh, okay, the display is from China and the memory is from Korea and the CPU is from Germany, but it's actually manufactured in Singapore and sort of piece by piece they will put the story together.
2: The the key to our analysis is that it's a bottoms-up analysis. A lot of times folks would say, okay, what's the retail price? And we take it from the top. What we do is we build from the component level. So we know that is priced at this much and the next component is priced at this much. And we roll that up individually. And then we add in things like manufacturing costs, overhead.
0: And then you come out with a figure. Right. So last year, that last iPhone, the figure was $173.
1: So $173, that's how much it cost Apple to make the second-generation iPhone.
0: And if you're a semiconductor supplier, you want to know that supply chain information. Who got the iPhone contract? What do they have that I don't have? And iPhone competitors want to know what's in there, and environmentalists want to know how much the batteries are going to destroy the Earth.
1: So it's just like – it's just general market intelligence.
0: Yeah. And the 173 number, that's the cost number. It's sort of weird because it's weird how little the cost has to do with the price.
1: You mean what you pay when you go in a store and actually buy one.
0: Right. So – Full disclosure, I have walked into a store and bought an iPhone, and you think, you know, it costs Apple $173 to make it. Okay, I'll pay a little bit more, and that's it. But that is not how the magic of cell phone economics works. It's not? No. So Apple gets, this is just a guess, but say Apple gets 600 bucks for each phone. So basically, they sell the iPhone to AT&T, and then AT&T charges you less, like, say, Two hundred or three hundred bucks.
1: That sounds insane. AT and T buys the phones for six hundred bucks and then sells them for three hundred. <laughs> that is buy high, sell low.
0: <laughs> right, but when you walk in, you get that little piece of paper and you sign on the dotted line that says AT and T will be your provider for two years or however long.
1: Right, and that costs you. So, really, Hanna, for you, the iPhone probably is costing you more like twenty five hundred, three thousand bucks over the next couple of years or something.
0: You know, David. I felt so cool getting my first iPhone. Now you go and make me feel like a tool.
1: (laughs) Come on, up. Look, download the lightsaber app. That'll make you feel better.
0: Oh, I have it. Wait here. Take that, David.
1: (laughs) My wife loves that app. All right. (laughs) Should we move on?
0: I think so. All right, so I want to talk about this other group of people who they also huddle over things like the iPhone and they try to make sense of them in a really different way. Um, There's this office at the Port of Seattle here that I recently discovered. It's just this generic building, cubicle farm, computers, And it's full of these guys. Well, again, all I could see was guys whose job it is to categorize everything that comes into the United States, every single thing that comes on a boat or a truck or a plane. So
1: this is a port. These are things that are going to be sold in the United States.
0: Yeah. And their job, they're called import specialists. So something comes into the country and they classify it. So, David, perhaps you'd like to classify some wood if you wanted
3: to know how to classify a piece of wood flooring, I handled that line and dealt with a lot of issues with it. And I could say it's either 4409, it's 4412, or 4418. If it was surface covered, it, would be, it wouldn't be 4409. If it was a multi-layered engineered flooring, I could say it would be 4412. <laughs> what is he talking about?
0: He's talking about, his name is Brett Ewing, and he's talking about how to classify wood flooring according to the harmonized tariff schedule.
1: Yeah. What? Say it again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so everything that comes into this country gets assigned a duty rate, right, a tax, and you have to declare it and pay customs.
1: Yeah, I mean, back. sort of like, I guess, our, our, we've all done that when we fly in on an airplane from out of the country and you fill out the form, right, stuff you have to declare.
0: Exactly. So, And if you're a big importer like Target or Walmart, or even if you're just like Bob's Burrito Bistro and Hardware Flooring in Washtucna, Washington State, you still have to declare what you're importing, each and every item, and you have to pay duties on it. So how much? That depends what it is. A toy might be 3%, a car 5%, or a vacuum, that'll be free. So someone has to have the job of figuring out what is a toy, what is a car, what's a vacuum.
1: That sounds pretty clear. I I bet I could do that.
0: Yeah. Well, David, you haven't met the book. Meet the Harmonized Tariff Schedule. What did we just hear?
3: We just heard the tariff fall to the ground. This is so exciting. There's uh, what, one, two? Three. There's about nine chapters here. <laughs> the 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 there are uh, three chapters here, and there are uh, eighty-five chapters here. Which is oh my God. how we, huge. yeah, this is how we classify merchandise entered into the United States.
4: Uh, I'd say it's kind of like our Bible. This is what we work from. It's everything that would be imported into the United States. Hannah, were you See, asking them? Were you having them throw
1: the books on the floor there to, <laughs> to make a sound? I
0: know. Don't tell anybody. They were having so much. I fun I know. Doing they got so there, right? much joy out of it. <laughs> um, so, so that's the Harmonized Tariff Schedule. Of that book. And the way that it works is you take an item and you work through every possible category that that item could fit under. So it's a linear progression. You need to rule out all the preceding options. So something like an apple or a cow, a cow, that's really easy. You can easily say this is not a flashlight, not a piece of big machinery. It's obviously chapter one, live animal, section 0102, live bovine. So the duty rate is one cent per kilo.
1: Yeah, see, that still seems pretty clear to me. I mean, okay, so we we wrote it up in complex language, but, you know.
0: Well, what if you want to import a monitor? Is it a computer monitor or a TV monitor? Because if it's a computer monitor, it's duty-free. But if it's got a TV receiver, it's not. Or an Elvis doll, is that a collectible or is it a toy? It seems like it should be easy. Um, But Brett's colleague, Jim Henderson, you heard him a little earlier, he comes over to me and he puts out his wrist.
4: I can tell you something yeah. that would, uh, the average person would think would be easy. You can think of, uh, well, I want to import a purchase a watch uh, from London I saw in a catalog. The, the watches can be very difficult to classify because they could be classified under the case. They can be classified whether or not they're of a precious metal or stainless steel. You can classify the band of the watch, whether or not it's digital or analog, how many jewels in, in the movement, how many jewels in the case. Uh, then you're talking about country of origin, just with something that you would think a watch.
0: So Brett pulls me back to his desk, and he says, you just have to see it done. So let's just take something. He looks around. There's an iPod docking station next to his computer, you know, one of those things you sit an iPod on, has speakers and a clock.
1: Yeah, it charges, and you can like you can play your music through it or whatever.
0: Exactly. So, so Brett says, okay, I look at that, and I can rule out the first 84 chapters. He knows it's not an orange <laughs> livestock optical instrument or a toy.
3: I would first look at Chapter 85.
0: What's Chapter 85? Chapter
3: 85 is electrical machinery and equipment and parts thereof, sound recorders and reciprocate, reproducers, television images and sound recorders. Beginning of Chapter 85 is for electric motors. That's not right. It's gone. Transformers. Electromagnets,
0: electric storage batteries,
3: shavers, hair clippers,
0: microwave ovens, hairdressing apparatus, coffee makers. We have automatic drip and pump type, percolator, other (laughs) or other.
3: Telephone sets, microphones and stands thereof, loudspeakers. But we don't know. Maybe it's not considered. For tariff purposes, the speaker may not be considered a loudspeaker.
0: Okay, I'm going to just skip ahead a little bit here, or a lot, so this took a long time. You know, the, all these questions, is it a battery-operated device? It has a battery. You know, is it an alarm clock? Well, that's probably not why you'd buy it, but it does have an alarm clock. So Brett finally settles on this.
3: reception apparatus for radio broadcasting, whether or not combined in the same housing with sound recording or reproducing apparatus or a clock. So And it's free. Hey, it's free, baby. Well, not all of them. Some of them are free.
0: Why? So why? I mean, don't you often wonder why? Like, why? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if it plugs into the wall, then it it's make free. Does but, but if it's FM or yeah. AM only, then it's 4.4 percent?
1: Yes, I do wonder that. So what's the answer?
0: Because the harmonized tariff schedule says so.
1: That's not an answer.
0: <laughs> okay, so yeah, I mean, there is a rationale. There's like a story to why each of these things has its certain rate. Um, But sometimes it's really hard to figure out. So each story has something to do with protecting American industry. Each includes a decision that favors someone, preferably the U.S., and punishes someone else. Um, So like textiles. If you want to import textiles instead of buying textiles from a domestic manufacturer, you have to pay high rates. Because at some point, the domestic textile industry was really threatened by foreign textiles coming in for cheap or Like footwear, shoes are taxed heavily. But other stuff, like Brett sees a lot of computer chips and small electronic pieces come through his desk. And those have really low duty rates because the U.S. high-tech industry uses them to manufacture their products. So we've decided to make it easy for them to get that stuff cheap. and It's the same with machinery and parts for the aerospace industry. Um, And, of course, because rates are so all over the place, importers try to game the system.
1: I mean, there are people importing BMWs and saying, "No, no, those are toys. Those are toys. And
0: cars, pencils, pencils was their big drama so far this year.
4: Pencils for school children, and you could have a pencil coming in in a gift set. That's going to raise a flag because in the past they've brought over those pencils and they've uh, infringed on and or caused injuries to industries here.
0: Wait, pencils for school children that raises a red flag.
3: Yes, <laughs> There's a domestic industry for a product, right. pencil manufacturers. They, be, they have reason to believe that foreign competition is unfairly flooding the market with a product and selling it at less than it costs them to make it. Either that or they're getting uh, refunded by their own government. In doing so, it snuffs out the, our domestic industry. Uh, we've seen it with televisions. We're currently seeing it with crawfish in, in, in the south, those industries, textiles, that's why quotas are in place, is to protect the t- textile industry. There's a new one for this funky thing I got in my hand here, which is called the front seat service valve. These are <laughs> valves that go into air conditioning machines, air conditioning units. And uh, we're asking ourselves whether this chunky piece of metal is subject to these additional duties. If, we can, if, if, if it is and these people aren't paying it, then they're hurting the domestic industry.
0: And, David, I called Brett to find out if they had finally classified that chunky piece of metal he was holding it the whole time we were talking. Um, and they did. They determined that front seating service valves from China are subject to higher duty rates than was being paid and up to 55 percent.
1: Wow. it's pretty high. We should point out here that most economists think that entire book there of tariffs should really go away. Because tariffs, most economists agree, are not good for the global economy. So I was talking to Adam Davidson about it this morning. He was telling me that he once found a survey that said that 3% of economists thought tariffs were a good idea. And he thought, who is that 3%? So he went out, he tried to find them, he talked to them. And it turns out they were arguing that in some special cases, like a small, poor country trying to protect a new industry, it, it might make sense.
0: But in general, economists argue, those tariffs actually make things more expensive for everyone.
1: So here's an example. Say in China they make toothbrushes uh, that cost 50 cents each. That's pretty cheap. But there's also a place in Ohio that makes them for $1. So clearly those aren't going to sell. So the United States slaps a 50-cent import tax on toothbrushes.
0: Right. Now everyone in America is forking over a dollar for toothbrushes.
1: That they could be getting instead for 50 cents. So the import tax is good for the factory in Ohio, but it is bad in the big picture because the global market is basically saying, Ohio, you really should not be making toothbrushes. The best place is China. And a tariff stops stops that from happening. It, it keeps Ohio in business when it shouldn't be.
0: Okay. So one final item today. I'm really excited about this. The Planet Money Road Trip.
1: And we need your help for this. So Adam and Caitlin and I are going to be doing a mini Planet Money Road Trip next week. Maybe we're driving past you We're going to be in Boston for a WBUR event next Wednesday, June 24th. So we're going to start early and make some stops along the way. We're going to try and blog and podcast from the road. So let us know, where should we stop? Do you see anything good coming out of the recession? Any new innovative businesses in your area or along our route? Uh, Maybe some interesting stimulus projects. Again, we're leaving from New York City and driving up to Boston. So anywhere in between.
0: You can email us at planetmoney at npr.org. You can post suggestions to our blog, npr.org slash money. That does it for today. I'm Khanna Jaffe-Walt.
1: And I'm David Kestenbaum. Thank you for listening.
2: It don't matter, I won't do what you say. you got the money and the power. I won't go your way. I can't take for the people. They don't matter at all. I'll be waiting in the shadows. The day that you fall (laughs) is is a good
4: still.